Remember that thing I said about a short episode, Brian? Yeah, we'll be able to cut a little bit of this. We're coming up on an hour. I'll be lucky if I get it down to 40. I bet <laughs> you get it to 40. Uh, okay. Welcome to episode 336 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Vlack. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, let's try and keep this one short. Famous last word. <laughs> yes. We're recording really soon, like one day after the last episode went up, so not a whole lot of things to talk about between the last time we talked about stuff. All right. Well, let's dig in. As always, we have new supporters to shout out this week. Here we go. Shouts to... I don't know that this is where the space is supposed to go in this, but it's Z-E-N-E-O-S-J-U-N. Zenesjun. 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 Well, we couldn't have messed that one up anymore. Nisha. (laughs) Nisha. Also, shout out to Nisha and to Chris Northcutt. Um, that's it. If you don't know, we're a listener-supported podcast for just a dollar a month. You can support the show, get you access to a private RSS feed with uh, sponsor-free episodes, as well as access to Bonus Land. Bonus, bonus Land. Land. Bonus bonus Land. Land. I teased this week on Twitter, Marshall, that we've recorded Bonus Land episode three. Now it's just on you. <laughs> I know. I'm in the middle of perf right I now, know, you guys. Please give me a break. I, I mean, I'll do it this weekend. But it's recorded and it's coming out soon. So just about a month, uh, an extra episode. Think about it. Think, think about it. That's at patreon.com slash design details. Also, we have had some really wonderful golden microphone sponsors for the last several months. Mm-hmm. Specifically, shout out to Sisu and Pathrise for sticking with us and supporting the show. Yeah, I guess this kind of counts as like their last uh, <laughs> last read, more or less. But anyways, if, if your team or company is hiring or is launching a product or just wants us to talk about uh, what you're working on, we are looking for more Golden Microphone supporters. That's also at patreon.com slash design details or just DM Marshall and I and we can, we can talk about how to talk about the thing that you work on on design details and it's going to be wonderful yes and i believe we call it a golden ratio supporter now instead of golden microphone that's fine it's okay we, we wow, changed the I name late my, in the game my own thing <laughs> well we called it golden microphone and i was like why are we not calling it golden ratio right. that's such a, <laughs> such a tropey meme a little uh, more on design on thing. brand yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so it's golden ratio same diff though same diff all right, cool. So that's it for Patreon. We've got some follow-up. All right, Marshall, so last week, your cool thing was the fact that you can hide the menu bar on your computer. Mm-hmm. On your Mac, yeah. On your Mac. And I did it. I tried it. Sweet. So while we were recording, I hit it, and I gave it a try, and I lasted about two days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I had to stop for a couple reasons. One is I never saw the time, and yeah. I'm like a... I got to see the time. I I just glance up at it constantly to just kind of pace myself throughout the day. So Mm -hmm. having to move the mouse up to display the menu bar was more distracting than not. And also I have lots of little utility apps that have their icons up there that are nice to just know that they're either running or that they're they're doing something. Mm -hmm. So not having access to that was annoying. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I think the most annoying part was first you had to resize every single window to fill up the extra space. And then if you quit that app and reopened the windows, it wouldn't remember the space. Yeah. Like it would always 
be top aligned to like where the menu bar should be. So you'd have this gap at the top. You'd have to double click or like do the option option click on the green stoplight. And it was just really annoying. So I <laughs> I turned it back on. <laughs> Can you set up double click to do maximize? I thought that was only for minimize. Most apps, if you double click on like a title area of the the application, it'll expand. Well, this is an opportunity to give a, a little pro tip. So in settings, let's go back into system preferences here, Brian. If you go into the doc settings, there the top checkbox at the bottom there is double click a Windows title to. Oh. And I think by default it's minimized, but you can set it to zoom. Fascinating. All right, cool. Another little system prefs pro tip. <laughs> yeah, there's power in there, Brian. There's power in them, our hills. Start a blog series or something. Um, all right, we also have a little bit of follow-up. So last week we talked about giving better upward feedback and it paired really nicely and by coincidence with New Layer, which is a podcast that we also recommended last week. Uh, they just finished a two-part series called Giving Feedback, parts one and two. And part two came out the same time as our episode last week about giving better upward feedback. And so I listened to both parts, thought they were fantastic. They came at it at a different angle with like a different lens and... It was more around like the feedback itself, less around the process and like strategies for delivering the feedback, although they mm. cover that as well. So anyways, for people who want to listen to more podcast content about uh, feedback, giving it, receiving it, structuring it, we'll have links in the show notes, but uh, that's the new layer podcast by Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel. So links in the show notes. Nice. All right, tiny bit more follow-up. So on the same thread as giving feedback to senior IC peers, we had a tweet from Manny. Manny says, really like this episode about giving feedback to seniors or managers. Agree with talking to them after the meeting in a more private environment setting. It worked for me multiple times. Also, they are the people who will assign you work and decide your performance level. <laughs> uh, well, when you phrase it like that, <laughs> not so great. But yeah, I, I mean, you want to have a positive working relationship with your peers who are going to be reviewing you for sure. Okay, that's it for follow-up. And since we are recording this one day after last week's episode came out, we don't have any tweets as well. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, everyone who's listening, tweet at us this week so that we have an extra pack next episode. All right, should we dig into a listener question? Yeah. I feel like this one is designed for you, Marshall. <laughs> okay. Okay, this one is asked anonymously. It's a little bit long, so we're going to have to truncate it, okay? Let's paraphrase. We will paraphrase. How do you learn user interface design? <laughs> we really paraphrased. <laughs> uh, specifically, this anonymous question asker asks, I've been trying hard to learn user interface design, but every time I sit in front of the screen, there are so many unknowns, like what's the best color gray to use for a disabled element? How do you even use colors in the right way? What's the best margin to use? Why do some interfaces look so amazing while others don't? And as Marshall mentioned in one episode, that in the web, you can just inspect elements and see how a lot of things work. But that's not the case with mobile apps. Sometimes I just take app screenshots from my phone, put it up on Sketch to try and understand the colors, the fonts, and why certain combinations of fonts look so good. But as you know, snapshots only tell you so much. So... How do you get good at user interface design? Marshall, I feel like maybe a slightly reworded version that would be, how do you get good at visuals? Like, how do you 
practice that? What is it that distinguishes a visually pleasing application from a visually unpleasing application? (laughs) Displeasing. Displeasing. Thank you. Yeah, this is, I mean... Well, partly it's kind of subjective, right? My my beauty is your trash. But I think there are some things that we can all agree upon. And typically, in my mind, those things come from math, which is funny to say because I am the least mathy person that you'll ever meet. I hate it. I suck at it. We don't have a good relationship, me and math. But um, it's necessary to make visually consistent and uh, visually pleasing interfaces. So one thing I could maybe bring this back to is nature, right? When you see um, a beautiful pattern or a nautilus shell or like a you know flower petals or something like that, like the symmetry in nature is mathematic, right? Like the the way that plants grow is based on very specific rules and those are beautiful, right? And But it's because it all stems from this math at the core of things. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit here, Brian, I don't know. No, I, I get it, but I feel like the, the output of the mathiness is things like symmetry or rhythm. Yes, exactly. Symmetry, alignment, cadence, clarity of hierarchy and not just among elements but in z depth right proportions between different elements all this stuff is pretty damn subjective and a lot of it is just looking at it and deciding like this looks better than that right like i don't know it's this is really hard to describe how you make it look good. This is why I went to math is because the only real solid foundation I can fall back on is a consistent numeric base for everything that you do such that all of your elements have a commonality that's based in math. I don't know how to say this. Are you saying that the eight-point grid is the foundation of beauty? Basically, that's what I'm getting back to, Brian. Or a grid, right? It doesn't have to be eight-point. Like We like eight-point, also math, but it it could be anything, right? It could be 10-point. It could be 13-point, as long as it's consistent, self-consistent, internally Mm -hmm. consistent, Mm -hmm. right? So when I talk about math and stuff, that's kind of a high level view, even though it's down at the molecular level of of everything that you build. Ultimately, that's a very high level view, not getting into the details, just generally have a grid, have everything that lines up in rhythm and cadence, blah, blah, blah. When it comes down to the actual visuals of things, it's amazing how there is no one right way, right? It's like there's no perfect movie, I guess. There's a bunch of different genres of movies, and great movies can come from any genre, right? And the same thing is true of music, the same thing is true of art, the same thing is true of interfaces. And we lived in skeuomorphic world for a long, long time. We're kind of in flat world, but you are not bound by the trends of the day. You can do whatever you want to and think of each of those as a genre, and the things that work in one genre might not work in the other. So, You have to know not only the stage that you're playing on, but also your audience. So if we want to talk about details, like it's going to be different depending on the direction that you're taking. But at the heart of things, the math is what ties everything together. So we could talk about flat design. You could become a Patreon supporter and you could listen to us talk about neomorphism. Uh Sick plug. (laughs) Yeah. You like that? Just sneak that one in there. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to learning good UI design, the, the way that I did it, and 
the way that I started to really understand it was tracing. Can you relate to this, Brian? 100%. I actually have an anecdote. Oh, is this a good time for you to hit us with that anecdote, Brian? Here we go. Anecdote incoming. I, I feel like maybe this has come up on the show at some point. After 335 episodes, like certainly I've told this story before, but in high school, I was obsessed with PSD Tuts. Do you remember that website? I do. Uh-huh. And it became like the Tuts Plus Network. It did. And they had all these tutorial websites. And do you remember what PSD Tuts looked like? It was dark mode, right? Uh, Not quite the way I remember. What I remember specifically about it was it was brown and red. Oh. Just like sort of a weird, like it had a brown header and then actions like buttons and links were red. I don't remember like that. Kind of a weird color choice. But they did, I guess, what you'd call like a web 2.0e kind of visual style with two one pixel dividers, one darker, one lighter to indicate like, oh, there's like a little bevel in there, right? Like a little one pixel edge inset on mm-hmm. on your buttons or as dividers. Yeah, a little gap between the button and the surface that it's on. So you yeah. can see there's a little, a little moat around each button. Yeah, it's like a little bit of depth there and like subtle gradients. It was really nice. So anyways, I wanted to make that. And so I had my own website and I wrote a tutorial called How to Recreate PSD Tuts in Photoshop because that was the design tool back then. Of course it was. And I wrote this whole article about how to recreate it from scratch. And the PSD Tuts people reached out and asked me to delete the the article I wrote. (laughs) They're like, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) But, But the process of doing that tracing was really important because I I had to get the exact values right. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you're like, okay, they're playing with opacity here or they're playing with alignment. Why did they choose this gradient? Oh, this gradient is moving along the brightness scale. Like you learn these sort of small details just going through that process. And what I should have done is just not published it, but I was in high school. I didn't know what I was doing. So I wrote a tutorial about it. But anyways, to conclude the anecdote, Yes, I am familiar with the process of tracing to learn. Yeah, and I I think you hit on a few great notes there, which is when you do, you learn. And a lot of the UI fundamentals that I've learned over the years have been emergent, uh, especially early on. It was was when I traced and I did all the measurements. And like you said, I have to get everything exactly right. If I'm going to trace it, then you start to see these patterns emerge of like, oh, okay, there's always this padding on the left and the right of the text and the buttons. Okay, that's interesting. It's Well, that makes sense. It's symmetrical. You'd want the same padding on either side. But, well, the button is exactly 32 pixels tall. That's interesting. That's also kind of based on the math of the padding that they had on the sides. Okay, that's that's interesting. You start to see the system emerge the more you measure and the more you pay attention to the numbers. And eventually you start to realize like, oh, there's this whole underlying philosophy at play here. I feel like this is a roundabout way of learning a lot of the fundamentals. I think it's a totally valid way. Obviously, you and I did it and it works for people. There's probably still some shortcuts there, I would imagine, where you could spend time reading about color theory, typography, layout, and like rhythm, like visual rhythm. Like what does it mean to have vertical and horizontal rhythm Mm -hmm. i feel like you could just read about those subjects and then from that have a pretty solid foundation of like why do things look good oh because this color is moving along the brightness scale and it's like in mathematical harmony with 
this other color. Like those are the things that might not be as obvious by tracing, but would be obvious when you read about them or, or just learn from, you know, existing resources. Yeah, there's a million UI tutorials out there that you could go through. And I'm, I'm sure there are thousands on YouTube and Skillshare and all that stuff. You could you could take a course if you wanted to, but I'm very much a fan of doing. And I think that for me, when someone just tells me something, my ability to absorb that information is a lot lower than if I were to discover that same information by doing it, right? To, to stumble upon a revelation like that sticks way better for me than someone listing it amongst an, a bunch of other information, right? Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's our next point then is you're just going to have to make a ton of stuff. I don't see a very easy way to shortcut that, which is, uh, I guess this is the Ira Glass sort of famous quote, you know, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work to develop good taste. And it's the dissatisfaction with your current output that's going to fuel and motivate that that process of just creating and creating and iterating and slowly refining what looks good to you, what feels good. Uh, hopefully, if you are designing applications, it's in service of solving some problem. And that just takes time. Like this is the process. There's no, there's no quick like, oh, this is the correct gray. Use this gray from now on and you have yep. the right gray. Yeah, uh, locked it in forever. Locked it in. We found the perfect one. Uh, it's just going to be different. And things will change over time and they'll change based on the problem you're working on, the interface, the size of it, the person who's going to be using it. A lot of times like things like color and type size are relative mm -hmm. and you need to know when it's applicable to care about that thing or not. So for example, iOS and, and I think Android as well, they have high contrast modes and they have accessibility type sizes. So in this case, you're not worrying about the size of text in pixels. You're worrying about the relative size of text in relation to other interface elements that gives it hierarchy because you have to assume that one of your users or customers has their font size set to the smallest and one set to the largest. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't actually matter what you chose. It just matters that the relative proportions are correct. So yeah, those things just come up situationally and will change as we continue to evolve in the industry and devices change and user expectations change. I don't want that to be too cop-outy that yes, there are still things that can look good along the way, right? Yeah, I, I think you hit on a really good point earlier, though, which is there's no right answer. I've talked about the Malcolm Gladwell TED Talk before, right? It's not ringing a bell, but go ahead and, and describe it here. Okay, uh, short short version of it is, and we should put the link in the show notes for, for this video, but it, it, he tells the story about a guy who does user research for big companies, and he was hired by either Prego or Ragu, I can't remember which one, to make the perfect spaghetti sauce. Have you seen this? I see you nodding. Yeah, yeah. I know the story, but this is a worthwhile anecdote. Yeah. So they, they came to him and they said, we want you to go out and talk to people and come back to us with the perfect spaghetti sauce that everybody will love. And he did that and he came back and he said, there is no perfect spaghetti sauce. There are only perfect spaghetti sauces, plural. 
And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, some people like a runny sauce. Some people like a chunky sauce. Some people like a meaty sauce. Some people like a spicy sauce, you know, and there's overlap between those. But if you make these 12 types of sauce, you'll cover like 99% of people's taste. And they did that. And it was super fucking successful. And now when you go and walk down the sauce aisle in the grocery store, there's a million different flavors of uh, pasta sauce. And that's because of this guy. So to bring this back, there's no perfect UI or perfect UI style. There's only different styles that work in different situations for the function of the application and appeal to different audiences. But bring it back, the inherent beauty of those things comes from that core fundamental structure at the base of everything. Ultimately, yeah, let's bring it back to this question. Like, How do you learn user interface design? we've listed out a few strategies here. There's tracing, there's just creating a large volume of work. There's certainly applying taste and wherever your taste is coming from, finding the people who sort of embody that for you and learning from them is a great way. I think a very typical example for people who work in technology is to sort of look at Apple and say, Apple has good taste and I want to figure out how to create things that look like Apple created them. Mm -hmm. And if that's the style that you like or you align with that taste, then go for it. Like start working your way through that. I think what you'll find is as you do that, you end up making small tweaks or you learn what the rules are and when to break them and you end up with something that feels a little bit more unique or might align to your style. I'm doing air mm -hmm. quotes for your mm -hmm. style. We should mm -hmm. talk about personal style someday. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I think I kind of want to couch all this with like, we're talking about interface design for products. I think this is probably different if you're talking about like marketing sites or graphic design, certainly, where the purpose is different. But when we're talking about product design, UI, yeah, interface design, I still come back to something that we said a, a while ago, which is that visuals should be in service of the function of the application. Like the decisions should match the customer that you're serving, the problem that's being solved, how you're going about solving it, and arbitrary visuals for the sake of, oh, that looks cool, is not gonna work out well. Just here's an, actually an example of this. Apple has a service called TestFlight that lets developers beta test their apps with real people. Mm -hmm. There's a function of TestFlight where people can send feedback. And so Apple has a dashboard, if you're a developer, where you can read that feedback that's coming in from users. Mm -hmm. And this internal dashboard tool, it looks good. Like the visuals of the interface are clean, nice typography, white with subtle drop shadows. Like it looks good. But boy, oh boy, is it a piece of shit to use. It is <laughs> not a fun interface. It, it's fine to look at, but to actually navigate and use and get utility from is worthless. So I, I still would go from function and then apply form. But yeah, the visuals should serve as part of the utility of the app, in my opinion. And Maybe we should wrap this up with a quick caveat and a warning because this is dangerous territory. The more aware you become of good design and the more aware you become of how things should be when they're done well, it will make you infuriated when you see <laughs> that things aren't that way. Uh -huh. It's because you know that it could be better, right? And I can't tell you how many times I've had undue stress in my day-to-day -day life because 
I've become a better designer and now I am ruined on when I see things that are messed up, all I see is the part that's messed up. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the, uh, I don't know that this is a thing, but I feel like it's the Don Norman curse. After you've read the design of everyday things, there's this very classic example of doors that are frustrating, Mm -hmm. like doors that have a, a handle that protrude out of the door sort of body, whether it's glass or wood, it sort of protrudes out. It has this affordance of grabbing and like pulling, but it's a push door. And you're like, what the fuck? And as soon as you know why that experience is frustrating, then that just bleeds into the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And apartment hunting makes this particularly annoying as well. We just (laughs) went through this. We're like, we're going through apartments and there's all these little details where I'm like, I don't know if I could live with that every day for the next Mm -hmm. whatever 12 month commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anonymous, the more you learn, the more sad you will become. I'm warning you. <laughs> welcome. Join the club. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our misery. All right, let's wrap. There's obviously a lot more that could be said about visuals, but hopefully this is enough to get our anonymous asker on the right track. Make lots of things. Make a ton of shit. Trace everything <laughs> until you learn. Uh, don't publish the things that you've traced. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you want to be publicly shamed like Brian. Yeah. All right, cool things. Marshall, you went first last time, so I'll go first this week. My cool thing is a new app that I don't use very much, but I'm plugging it because it has some interesting design decisions. The app is called Noto, N-O-T-O, and it is a note-taking app. And I think you would appreciate this one, Marshall, because it's designed for, the interface is entirely bottom-oriented and designed for one-handed use. So there's no top nav bar, like the nav bars at the bottom, actions are within thumb's reach. But it's a note-taking app, and so it has its own flavor of how a note-taking app should work. There's some decisions that they made that I don't like, but there's some that are actually quite pleasant, like the ability to sort of drag and drop things around, the way you can preview thumbnails. So when I say drag and drop, like imagine you create a bulleted list of text. You can actually just grab one of those bullet points and drag it around. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it. This is pretty nice. I'd, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't downloaded it yet. This is, uh, oh, it's kind of, wait, is this just my dark mode making it look jiggly? No, it's that's one of the decisions that I do not like about this app is that as you're scrolling, it adds like an offset entrance animation to content as it's scrolling into view, and it makes it look squishy. Yeah, everything's jiggly. I do not like that, but... Yeah, like the ability to just grab the left edge of a list item and drag it around and reposition it on the screen is an awesome example of a part of note-taking or just writing documents in general that's frustrating. Like when you want to reorder lists, you're selecting the whole line, cutting it, moving the cursor up, pasting it. Like reordering stuff is just kind of a pain. So bringing joy to that is nice. And yeah, what's your first impression, Marshall? I see you're playing around with it now. Well, first, I I love apps that use their main features to tell you about their main features, right? We've talked about this in the show before, and this is a perfect example of it. When you download the app, you have one file in there that they've preloaded, and it has everything you could possibly do in the app in here, from bullet points to tables to list items to block quotes to math equations and all sorts of shit. Really interesting. And yeah, everything that you said is is pretty cool as far as like you can drag stuff around. I I too am not a huge fan of the squishiness. I thought it I thought it was a 
artifact of me being in dark mode and they have a pure black background, it looks like. So we've talked about that on the show before too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is cool. I, I'm a bear user myself, but I will check this out. Yeah, I'm I'm too in deep on my existing note-taking app. But What do you use? I, I use IA Writer. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but a lot of the actions here feel also inspired by things, which I think might be coloring my perception here. Like in the editor itself, uh, a lot of the tool tips feel like things. They animate the same way. They're these little tool tips that scale up and fade in with opacity and have a nice little haptic when you tap them. So some of these things feel like that. But anyways, I do like this bottom nav bar. So that's my cool thing for people who want to just poke at an app. And speaking of visuals and just learning by observing others, this might be a fun one to poke around. Very, very cool thing, Brian. I'm I'm impressed. All right, cool. What's your cool thing this week? My cool thing is a TV show I've been watching. It's new. This is the first season. There's four episodes, and I'm enjoying it immensely. It's called Lego Masters. Brian, have you heard of this? No, I have not heard of this, but I feel like maybe I have. Is it hosted by what's-his-name from uh, Arrested Development? Will Arnett, yes. Will Arnett. Okay, I have heard of this. Um, yeah. Only because I heard an interview with him recently, but I didn't associate that with the word or the, the title Lego Masters. All right, so what is it? Okay, so it's a competition show, and it's kind of what you would expect. It's every week there's a theme, and teams of two do a build to that theme, and every week somebody's voted off. And the really cool thing is they give them, like, 12 hours to do these builds. Oh my God. And I don't know how they split up the show because there's no way they're standing there for 12 hours doing these builds. It has to be split up into a couple different days, but they're wearing the same clothes and they make it seem seamless, right? But uh, it's really enjoyable. It's like kind of a family-friendly show, so it's all very lighthearted and wholesome. But the creations that they come up with, the way they manipulate lego to make the shapes that they're looking for and and some of the stuff that's come out has just been mind-blowing it's really cool to see and you watch it take shape what's an example of a theme uh well the one in the most recent episode was movies so they had all these different bags of popcorn up there and you choose a bag of popcorn and you pull your theme out of the popcorn and and whatever it is that's what you got to do everything from romance to fantasy sci-fi to westerns and comedies right Yeah, so they have to build to this theme, and it has to tell a story. What's really interesting about this is they have two actual Lego masters, people who work at Lego and are responsible for creating some of the sets that you see in the store. Legends. There's a man and a woman. I don't know their names, but apparently they're legends. And uh, they're kind of the judges, but the way that they talk about the designs and the way they talk about the story being told is really interesting because it's not just a sculpture that you're making. Lego is a lot about fun and storytelling and like creating these scenes, right? So every build that they do has to tell a story that needs to be self-explanatory. You look at it, you don't need to be told what the pitch is. Like, here's the situation. It's just you look at it and you see these little vignettes in it. Like the, the attention to detail is really impressive. So I'm really enjoying the show. Plus, it's fun. It's Will Arnett. He's a fucking riot, and it's a it's a good show. Okay, one question. How do they give you the blocks? Do they give you just like, here's a shit ton of blocks for this week, or do you get to pick and choose from just big bins? Like, how, how's that process work? 
The latter, yeah. They're they're basically in a giant room that is lined with trays of bricks in every color, every style, everything that you could ever want. They're 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 kids in Candyland, and they can make whatever they want. Yeah, that sounds so fun. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's awesome. Everybody has a little minifig that looks just like oh, them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. nice. All right, Lego Masters and an app. Well done. Alrighty, sir. Let's wrap. That's been episode 336. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. Hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Of course, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It tells Apple that you're listening. And then Apple can recommend us to other designers. We appreciate that. If you want to support the show, you can also go to patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, you get access to bonus line, bonus, bonus, line, line, bonus, bonus line. content. Thank you. Bonus Land Episode 3 is coming out soon. So that's at patreon.com slash design details. Thank you to our supporters for making the show possible. Thank you. Otherwise, if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. It's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. And uh, we'll just be talking to you on Twitter until next week. Bye. Well, we couldn't have messed that one up anymore. <laughs> Nisha. Nisha also. Shout out to Nisha. Nisha. Straightforward. Yeah, Nisha. Mm-hmm. Uh, no last name. Don't need one. I respect that. It's kind of like a Madonna situation. Yeah, it's like a Britney yeah. Cher kind of situation. Yeah, Nisha. So brandable.